Hi, my name's Ava Ford, and welcome to the first installment of Living Your Best Sex Life. And before you get your hopes up, understand I'm not here to tell you about the best foods to eat for sexual stimulation, the must-try positions out there, or how to get your romantic partner to have sex with you in public. Sorry. I'm actually not here because I think I have all the answers. Instead, just a lot of questions. For those of you who don't know, this is my first swing at bat in the podcast realm, so bear with me and send feedback my way if you feel so inclined. But without further ado... If you'll allow it, I'd like to walk through my journey thinking about consent. So that little clip you just heard, um, here, let's just replay that for you. Yeah, so that line right there, did she put up a fight, it, it's really interesting. It really just shows how our view of consent is and has been historically problematic. It's really woven into the fabric of our society. Just that song comes from a historically popular movie. Ever heard of Grease? That line sends a message that not putting up a fight is basically giving consent. And I doubt that the people who wrote the song necessarily even thought about it that way. But here we are in 2019, and now is the time to think about a line like that. Now is the time to question a view of that kind, of if somebody doesn't put up a fight, is that consensual? And that's sort of what I'd like to explore starting with this story. Before I get started, I want to inform those listening that this podcast may include content not suitable for all listeners, including sexually explicit content, explicit language, and sexual assault. Okay, so picture this. A girl at a party has been drinking and dancing with her friends, and then some guy makes a move on her. They start kissing, and he asks if they can go outside. She thinks, no big deal. Fresh air might actually be nice. They've been in a stuffy basement for several hours. So they go outside, and then he starts leading them away from the party. She protests, asking, um, where do you think we're going? And also, I left my jacket inside. Before she knows it, they're inside, finding her jacket and leaving again. She gives him shit, saying, I don't know what you think is going to happen, and where do you think we're going, hmm? By giving him shit, she thinks, she's still sort of in control of how the evening plays out. While they walk, they get to know each other a little, exchange information like their majors and friend groups. All the while, she keeps saying things like, okay, so you think we're just going to your place now? I should tell you that her ability to give him shit is misleading, as it's not reflective of how drunk she truly was. She remembers walking being a difficult task and struggles to remember how they even arrived inside his apartment. She vaguely remembers meeting his roommates, attempts to give him shit again in front of them this time. But 
now it it's different. They're actually in his bedroom, meaning they're exactly where he planned to take her. No amount of shit she gave him got in the way of that. In her mind, she was suggesting she wasn't interested in going home with him. In a cute and flirty way, maybe. Perhaps in a way that doesn't sound harsh. In a way that doesn't piss him off. In a way that felt easier than being the one to just say no right off the bat. Because saying no before you'd even left the party feels like you're suggesting that they only have one thing in mind. She remembers telling him she didn't want to sleep with him, and him pushing anyway. He wouldn't stop calling her baby. And she kept telling him she was not his baby. I'm not calling me that. Stop calling me that. He kept pushing, and eventually she just asked him to put a condom on and gave up. She remembers falling in and out of sleep while he was having sex with her, still calling her baby. She hated that. She hated all of it. Next thing she knows, she's waking up at 3 a.m. She then grabs all of her things and walks home through a now silent and dark college town. She told herself that was her first one-night stand, a typical college experience. About half a year after hearing this story, I read another story written by a woman named Grace, accusing Aziz Ansari, a comedian I'd loved and respected, of pushing a line with her in a sexual encounter. Aside from my previous opinions about him, I still found myself so easily empathizing with her. When I discussed her story with some people with whom I was very close, people I would consider ordinarily in agreement with me regarding social issues, I noticed their apprehension towards condemning Ansari. While I don't place him into the same category as the likes of Harvey Weinstein, I think his story is a valuable example of the aspects of sexual assault and consent that we are learning are much more gray than we may have realized. Following my conversation about Aziz Ansari, I started reading other Me Too stories. It was almost a year and a half ago when I read the Me Too story that resonated with me in an uncomfortably deep and invasive manner. I'd just read someone else's story that somehow allowed me to learn something new about myself. That one night stand story I told you, that was about me. And now I was wondering, had I been sexually assaulted? Dare I say, raped? Why wouldn't I allow myself to name my experience for what it was, I'd think. If that's what happened, then it's pretty simple, right? Instead, I spent a great deal of time thinking about the ways in which I contributed to the evening. Following the Me Too movement, our culture shifted in a way that allowed me to look at my experiences differently. I was emotionally attached to Grace's experience with Aziz Ansari, even though I didn't fully understand why at the time. I wanted her experience of the evening to be validated, for people to see how much we still have to learn about sexual assault 
consent, and power dynamics. To feel as if I was in control of the way an evening like mine went is reflective of the society in which I live. I can't be fully in control. And, in fact, I wasn't. But to feel as though I was is problematic. I dug beneath the surface of what was being said about consent in popular culture and found a few podcasts that put words to this feeling I had. Stories that allowed me to feel like I knew what to call my experience. Stories like an episode by This American Life called Five Women. You're going to listen to an excerpt now with a story from a woman named Kristen. When Kristen was raped a few years later, it took her a while to use that word. He took advantage of me, is what Kristen said at first. When that didn't feel right, she said, he's an asshole. But that didn't seem right either. She had no word to summarize the experience. Something that I didn't like that was wrong, but it wasn't what I imagined rape would be like, and it wasn't as scary as I thought that it would be. She was at her friend's house for a party. It was late. People were going to sleep. And she climbed up to the top of a bunk bed to get away from an older guy who was creeping her out. Kristen was drunk. She remembers her face felt numb. She remembers hearing someone banging on the door, which she later found out he had locked, before he climbed up into the bunk bed and took her clothes off. She said no, but he had sex with her anyway. Sex. That didn't feel like the right word either. Kristen noticed her friends doing the same thing, describing their experiences with boys in different tones and different arrangements. And then there was the friend who wouldn't say anything at all about what happened, except she was upset and didn't want to talk about it. And eventually she did explain. He said, can I just put it in you for a second? Her friend said no, he did anyway. That's when Kristen said she felt like she had an understanding to share. All those times when we were mad at those boys because of what they did to us, um, we were mad because they raped us, you know. Um, and there was, like, several of my friends where it took us a really long time to, like, put the word to it. When she added them up, all their experiences, Kristen felt like boys were aiming their behavior so it would come in just under the line of something that had a name. Like, they're playing a game to see what they can get away with. That's what I kind of realized from it. Like, the, the way that a guy is going to screw you over most likely isn't going to be he's going to rape you in an alley. It's going to be something that people might doubt. And it's not going to look like the worst examples of things or the most clear-cut. And it's intentional, and that's why it's scary. <laughs> Like they told, actually, I think maybe they don't need, they don't believe that what they did was wrong because it doesn't look like what they consider rape. Same as for you. Mm -hmm. Rape. The word was congruent with the way she felt about it. That she decided was what mattered. And I think maybe, maybe after that, I was just ready. I don't know. I, I wasn't waiting anymore to call something what it was.
So although the focus of this podcast isn't sexual assault, it's hard to avoid talking about it because it's at the extreme end of what not getting consent can look like. To be clear, this podcast isn't about me. It's about all of us. Obviously, I had to start somewhere, so I started with an experience to which I have access. The aim of this podcast is also not to point fingers. I don't think that's helpful. Pointing a finger in an attempt to assign blame is sometimes necessary, sometimes helpful. However, in this case, I'm of the impression that far too many entities would be the recipients of this finger pointing. And what do we do there? Expecting the recipients of our blame assignments to do the work is not productive. What is productive is thinking about your own experiences and the feelings of others and how you can contribute to being more thoughtful about consent. Never feeling confident that you've mastered consent. Always operating with the assumption that situations and feelings are subject to change and we're complicated beings who might need more than a one-time yes or no question. My goal is really just to help people recognize that we don't have consent figured out. And that's okay. I don't have it figured out. I think we just need to operate with this understanding that it's not figured out. That it's not black and white. That it fits into all types of relationships. And that's why I started this project, in my effort to really bring light to the fact that we're all a little confused about consent. Well, not just a little, we're confused. I think it's problematic for a culture in which so much sexual assault is occurring to be under the assumption that consent is figured out. Maybe if we all operate with the understanding that we're confused, with the understanding that consent is a lot more complicated than we previously understood, I think that would be a first step. Really, I'm just hoping to start a conversation that allows people to recognize the ways in which consent might be more complicated than they may have realized. And that's why I started talking with people in my community. I spoke with a prevention specialist at the Sexual Harassment and Rape Prevention Program, aka SHARP, at the University of New Hampshire with my mom, a professor of sociology at the University of New Hampshire who happens to teach sexual behavior, another sociology professor, Catherine Moran, my sister, a sexual well-being intern, her boyfriend, and about 50 other conversations that weren't recorded for this podcast. I wanted to talk about the things I heard being talked about in other amazing podcasts done on consent because they were tapping into something I wasn't hearing in other forms of media that I really wanted to dive into. All of these sources and conversations have allowed me to explore these issues, explore my questions, and explore other people's questions. I really just learned that a lot of the ways in which I described the issues I'm interested in resonated with most every person I spoke to. In fact, there were many instances in which people thought I helped put words to experiences they had in the past. Experiences and feelings that were never explored. And I'm not trying to suggest I'm doing anything necessarily profound here, but I do think that we're not talking about consent like we could be. And a lot of that stems from education and talking about sex only from the perspective of risk and danger as opposed to potential enjoyment. 
that limits our conversations about sex to be focused on STIs and STDs and unwanted pregnancies and rape. But sex is a lot more than that, and it's a lot more complicated than risk awareness. We weren't just born relationship experts, and we certainly weren't born sex experts. So I think it's safe to say that we could all benefit from a little more conversation and a little more consideration when it comes to our sex partners and sex lives. Because I'm willing to bet that all of us aren't running around with perfectly satisfied sexual partners and equally gratifying personal sexual experiences. But hey, feel free to stop right here if you think you're doing everything perfectly. But for the rest of you, I hope these episodes help you explore some of your questions and concerns about consent that I know you have. This podcast would not have been possible without the help of many. First, a huge thank you to the Mellon Foundation for giving me this opportunity to be digitally creative. That also goes for my advisors during this project, UNH professors Krista Jackman and Molly Campbell, my unofficial advisors, UNH professors Nina Stracuzzi and Catherine Moran. Thank you to both Zach Ahmed Kaloun, a prevention specialist for SHARP, the Sexual Harassment and Rape Prevention Program at UNH, and Sophia Ford, a sexual well-being intern, a 2019 Planned Parenthood intern, and soon-to-be UNH graduate, for guiding my thinking and framing of this crucial topic. And of course, thank you to all of those with whom I discussed this podcast while it was in the making, who encouraged me to bring it to fruition. For those of you whose conversations I've recorded, don't worry, this is the first episode. There's more to come and you haven't been forgotten. Thank you to the work from which I pulled and by which I was inspired to create this project, including the song Summer Nights, written by Jim Jacobs and Warren Casey for the famous film Grease, This American Life's podcast episode, Five Women, Radio Lab's three-episode podcast miniseries that incorporates the work of Caitlin Prest called In the Know, and that's the N-O, kinda know, the general Me Too movement and all the stories that were inspired by it, and far too much more to include. And finally, a massive thank you to Alex Davies, who, aside from the Summer Nights excerpt, produced all the music you heard in this episode, And now I want to thank those who listened to this with an open mind. I hope you look forward to future episodes.